in 2020, more than 100,000 women of color went missing. At least four black women and girls were murdered per day in the United States. Most of those cases are still unsolved. These are their stories. Hi, listeners. I'm your host, LB. The story that I have for you today is the very reason why I started this podcast. You see, I'm going to tell you a story about an Army veteran that, although small in stature, was larger than life, yet her disappearance has remained unsolved for 14 years. Full disclosure, this was not scheduled to be the first episode of The Cost of Color, nor is how I tell you this story what I envisioned the format to be for this show. Initially, I wanted to tell you about a victim by starting with who they were, their childhood, all the things that led up to their disappearance or murder. But I want to do things a little different for this case. And instead of telling you all about Hattie Brown and the life she led up to her tragic disappearance, I actually want to start with her disappearance because I need you to share in my frustration over this case. Hours were poured into finding out what happened to Hattie, and yet I have very little to tell you about her now cold investigation. Come with me on this journey as I tell you the story of Hattie Gertrude Brown. In the early morning hours on Saturday, May 16th, 2009, Hattie received a call from her adult nephew, Derek. Derek, who was 30 at the time, asked his aunt if she would pick him up. Yeah, you heard me. Her 30-year-old nephew is bumming a ride. Now, being out in the middle of the night was not normal for Hattie. But helping her family was. She loved her family, and she was always willing to do what she could for them. So no one in the family blinked an eye that she would agree to this request from her nephew. Around 2.33 a.m., surveillance video captures Hattie and her nephew at a Sheets gas station near South Boston, Virginia. She picks Derek up at Sheets and then takes him to a party where, according to Derek, as he enters the party, he turns and he sees his aunt sitting outside the party with her car idling. And that is the last sighting of Hattie. Hattie comes from a huge family. She is the 11th of 12 children born to Adolphus and Emma Brown. This was a close family, so it was no surprise when one of her brothers was getting married that she was asked to be a maid of honor. And as such, she and her two sisters had been planning a bridal shower that was scheduled to take place on May 16th. And if that date of May 16th rings a bell, well, that's because in the early morning hours of the 16th is when Hattie dropped Derek off at a party and seemingly disappeared into thin air. Well, Early morning turns into afternoon and it's time for the bridal shower and Hattie is a no-show. This concerns her family, but it's not full-blown hysteria at this point because she's a retired army veteran and the very reason for her retirement was due to her health issues. So while worried, the family continues on with the celebration 
and fully expect to see her the next day at church. Hattie attended church on a regular basis, but Sunday comes and again, Hattie is a no-show. Hattie has now missed out on two events that meant a lot to her. And now her family is really worried because they feel as if something may have happened to her as a result of her health issues, not necessarily something malicious or evil. So at this point, they report her missing. The police start their initial investigation in Hattie's home. And what they find is extremely alarming. Hattie's ID, her credit cards, her wallet, and even her medications are there. Now, this discovery in itself probably gave you goosebumps. But for the family, the thing that made them realize that Hattie did not leave on her own was that she had left behind her beloved Chihuahua. Hattie adored her fur baby, and her family is adamant that there is no way she would have intentionally left her dog behind. So at this point, all sorts of things are running through the mind of her family. I mean, at this point, they have accepted the fact that she may be in danger. But whether she was kidnapped or got sick and couldn't find her way home, all of those scenarios racing through their minds, they, they still all end with Hattie coming home. There's no significant movement in the investigation, so let's fast forward two months. On July 7th, 2009, a farm in Virgilina, which by the way, is 12 miles from the Sheets gas station where Hattie was last captured on video. A farmer uncovers a gruesome discovery that changes the trajectory of this case forever. You see, the owner of that farm rounds the corner of an old barn and nestled on his property as if it had been there forever were the remains of a burned silver Jetta. The car is so badly burned that the police are not able to identify anything in the vehicle. I mean, we are talking completely charred, except the VIN number. The police use the VIN number to ID the owner, and wouldn't you know it, the burned and neatly discarded silver Jetta belongs to Hattie Brown. Since the beginning, the police have talked to her nephew Derek several times. Why? Well, initially, Derek denied seeing his aunt that night. It was only after police obtained the footage from Sheets that Derek finally admitted to being with his aunt that night. And let's not forget the real elephant in the room here, and that is the fact that Derek made it home safely, but his aunt did not. So to the police, this is significant since he is the last known person to see her alive. And so on July 28, 2009, Derek officially becomes a suspect. But don't start cheering just yet. You see, I'm done. That's the end of the story. 
While Derek remains a suspect to this day, he is never arrested in Hattie's disappearance. Now, to be fair to the police, in November of that same year, a dive team searched the water near where her car was found. The search took place over the next two to three weeks, and according to Clay Overholt with the state police scuba team, rivers, creeks, and bridges near where the car was found were, quote, getting checked twice and sometimes three times, end quote. But if you're listening to this, then you know nothing was ever found and the case went ice cold. I'm going to throw a random nugget of information your way because this also happened in November. And I want to give you all the details that I have so that when you're sitting on the front porch and you're watching the kids play and you talk about Hattie's story, There's another name I want you to discuss amongst yourselves. The police believed that a woman named Crystal Pumphrey had knowledge about Hattie's disappearance. So in November of 2009, they issued a subpoena for her to appear in court to tell police what she knows about Hattie. And when she failed to appear, a warrant was issued for her arrest. Finally, on February 17th, 2010, Crystal Pumphrey turned herself in to local authorities. So who is Crystal and what did she tell them? Don't know, because it's been 14 years and we are talking about Hattie as an unsolved cold case. What I can tell you about Crystal is that apparently she is or was a friend of Derek's because even with all of the rumors and allegations swirling around her about Hattie's disappearance she was at least still Facebook friends with Derek for several years after the disappearance maybe you can chalk that up to being young and naive because Crystal was only 24 years old when this all happened but can I still be cool with somebody that has me involved in an abduction or worse? Hell no, but thanks for asking. Crystal still resides in the South Boston area. So if you know Crystal, encourage her to come forward and tell the authorities what she really knows because it's not too late. Oh, I know, (laughs) you have all the questions. And believe me, so do I. You want to know which of Hattie's siblings is Derek's parent and what do they think about their son being named in their sister's disappearance? Don't know. You're probably on our website, thecostofcolor.com, viewing pictures. And while there are a lot of pictures of Hattie, as there should be, You still want to know what Derek looks like, don't you? Don't know. You want to know what evidence the police had to begin with to make Derek a suspect. Don't know. Now, I consider myself a very good, albeit amateur, detective. But I could not even find the name of the dog that Hattie loved so much. Now... 
no need to roll your eyes because you're right. The dog is not of importance as it relates to finding Hattie. But it sends a much deeper message. In order to do everything that we can to find Hattie, we need to know as many details as possible, no matter how insignificant someone might believe it to be. Every detail matters. And there you have it. Hattie disappears in May of 2009, and the last known search for her occurs in November of that same year. And the Brown family that was once so close has been torn apart, not only by Hattie vanishing, but the fact that one of their very own could be responsible for it is just unimaginable. But I can't leave Hattie's story untold. She deserves more than the 13 minutes it took for me to walk through her investigation. She is so much more than just the three paragraphs that you will find about her online. Hattie was that person in her family. Her family describes her as a tall woman. And I laugh as I say this because Hattie wasn't tall at all. In fact, she was the smallest person in her family, standing at five feet, three inches tall. But the way she commanded a room and owned it from the moment she walked in made her larger than life. Hattie grew up on a farm, and even though she has 11 brothers and sisters, the truth is, is that when she was growing up, a lot of her siblings were older and already out of the house. So there may have been maybe six siblings living at home at any given time. Still, Hattie was the last baby girl and all of her brothers and sisters loved her. Growing up on the farm meant everyone had chores and <laughs> baby girl or not, Hattie was no exception. But she really wasn't that good at it. So oftentimes her dad would send her in the house with her mom and that is where she learned to cook. And Hattie was a really good cook. I mean, she's even bragged that she's better than her older sisters. When she graduated high school in 1978, she was done with school and had no interest in going to college. So for the next six months or so, she stayed home and spent time with her mother and watching soap operas. But then she had an urge to go to trade school. So she attended a trade school in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And the entire time she was there, she felt a silent calling, something pushing her towards the military. And so exactly one day after her 20th birthday, she joined the army. And when I tell you she had found her calling, Hattie had found her place in life. She moved through the ranks after attending Air Assault School in Kentucky in 1982 and then Airborne School in North Carolina in 1983, becoming the first female in her unit to accomplish that feat. She served this country in Desert Storm in 1991 but after she returned from her tour in the Persian Gulf, she retired from the army due to her health in 1988. But she also wanted to help her siblings with their mother, whose health was also failing. 
Now home, Hattie and her nephew Derek become reacquainted when Hattie began the process of buying a piece of family property of which Derek was part owner. There is nothing to suggest that this purchase has anything to do with her disappearance since this occurred several years before she disappeared. Hattie was 48 years old when she went missing and this year she'll be 62. So many of her family members have passed and according to one of her sisters, they died from a broken heart because they died not knowing what happened to Hattie or James. Oh, didn't I mention James? Oh yeah, you see, four years after Hattie disappeared, one of her brothers also disappears without a trace. James Brown Jr. disappeared from Clover, Virginia on Thanksgiving Day in 2013. I should mention that while it seems as if there is a connection here, the police do not feel as if the disappearances are connected. But around the same time, Derek actually leaves the area. But it is worth noting that I cannot confirm if he leaves the area before or after James disappears because, well, details. But Derek's luck has run out because he starts getting into legal trouble. And the offenses start off small. I mean, we're talking about speeding and driving on a suspended license in 2014. But here's where your heart might skip a beat because those legal troubles escalate and fast. On November 6, 2016, Derek is charged with felony counts of burglary and assault and abduction by force and intimidation. Let that one sink in for a moment. As of the recording of this podcast, Derek is still in custody. So I'm happy for that person who has received justice, but we still have work to do folks. Also in 2016, which is now seven years after Hattie vanished, her family had her legally declared dead. It wasn't something they wanted to do because so many of them were still holding out hope that she would come home, but the family needed to settle her affairs. Even though they still have hope that she is alive, the family held a memorial for her after her declaration of death. And every year, they find a way to honor her, either through fundraisers to increase the reward money, which is now up to $10,000, or to hire a private investigator to try to find out what really happened to her. In 2020, a user on the true crime platform called WebSleuths submitted an FOIA, which is the Freedom of Information Act. In its official definition, FOIA requires the full or partial disclosure of previously unreleased or uncirculated information and documents controlled by the U.S. government, state, or publicly authority upon request. Yeah, that's a mouthful. 
This basically means that the government agencies are required to be as transparent as possible with the American public about how they operate so that we can hold them accountable. News organizations invoke FOIA all the time in order to report stories, but even your average Joe can request an FOIA. And so when that user requested an FOIA in the Hattie Brown case, they received a denial letter stating that they had over 1,200 pages of documentation and it was considered an active felony homicide investigation. Do I feel better hearing the words active investigation? Honestly, no, I don't. I mean, there is radio silence about this active investigation in the places where it matters, the news, social media, bulletin boards and flyers plastered with her picture? Does it matter if the local news station WTV who gives a damn covers this story once a year on the anniversary of her disappearance? Sure, and thanks, I guess. But it's not enough. This happened 14 years ago. Who's to say that people with information about this case are still in the South Boston area anymore. But you know the one thing that connects all of us these days? Technology. The police should be on every social media platform and every national news network blasting this case. But all I hear are crickets. This isn't rocket science. It's just skill versus will. You have to want to put in the effort and hard work to find this woman. And she deserves that hard work. I'm going to step on my soapbox for a moment. Because this woman is a veteran who served this country. And we are well beyond the need for justice for Hattie. She did things that you will never know about so that you can sleep well at night. You never had to worry about bombs landing in your living room because of soldiers like her. She has earned the right for justice. Do you think it was easy for her going into the army? I mean, Hattie had so many obstacles stacked against her, all of which were out of her control. For one, she was small and I'm sure she was underestimated by her peers in the military. Not only was she a woman, but she was a black woman in the U.S. Army in the 80s and 90s. So, I mean, that says enough on its own. This woman, no, this soldier protected her entire country, not just portions of it. Yet it seems as if only a portion of her country cares about what happened to her. There are no weekly, monthly, heck, even yearly pleas from investigators about this case. There's no breaking news interrupting your favorite television program to give you updates. And there never have been. And there is no other reason that I can even fathom other than the color of her skin. And that, my friends, is the cost of color. 
the unspoken price that women of color pay simply for the color of their skin. I truly hope that details are being kept from the public because there are things that only the abductor would know instead of the alternative, which is that new information has not been released because this case is just sitting in a box in a storage room. My last plea is to the public. If you know something, say something. No matter how insignificant it may seem to you, that information you're holding on to could be the detail the police are looking for to prosecute someone in this case. To contact the Halifax County Sheriff's Office or South Boston Police Department with information on this case, please call 434-476-3334. For more information about this case, visit us at thecostofcolor.com and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have information about this case and you are uncomfortable talking to the authorities, then talk to me. You don't know me, but my word is my bond and you will remain anonymous. You have my word that by contacting me, you have a safe and judge-free zone to tell me what you know. Email me at coldcases at thecostofcolor.com. The Cost of Color is a 1602 production.